0: everybody is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else again hold them back submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher called this. this i like shapeshifters only a lot more the eastern folk and nothing can kill them hey so maybe I'm
1: not real Hello the internet and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast, a member of the Agora Podcast Network, where we discuss political science and popular
0: culture, as always hosted by Peter Sleeman and Brock Rodham.
1: Guys, we've got some excellent news and um, also a big thank you to all of you for your support. Uh, Brock and I, with our podcast, have been invited and been accepted to join the Agora Podcast Network, which is super freaking awesome. Uh, we're both super and a big excited.
0: big thanks to Thomas Daly, who helped us set it up. He identified our network and recommended us to join. And he's been a great help in facilitating all of that. Yeah. But of course, we also need to thank our listeners for generating of support. We've gotten from you guys and for enjoying our show. Yeah. And ultimately pushed us to, uh, to join the network.
1: Yeah. I feel that if uh, Thomas Daly is the uh, Yoda to our Luke, then you guys are like the Rebel Alliance who are attacking the Death Star for us. <laughs> Thanks so much guys So this means that there are going to be a few changes coming up uh, Firstly, a lot of stuff just remains the same Obviously Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff remains the same You'll still be able to find us there But we are migrating You'll also be able to
0: still find all of our episodes on our website So please go and see all of our stuff there uploaded as well
1: Absolutely Well, the only thing that changes now is that we are migrating our hosting service. So we will no longer be primarily hosted on SoundCloud. We are going to be migrating over to Acast, which is actually a pretty cool uh, podcast listening app if you guys are listening to any others. Um, So that means that while all our old episodes will be on SoundCloud, all of our newest episodes will be on Acast. And it also means that there is going to be some promotions and advertising in well, um... also
0: the old episodes will also be hosted on a cost. Yeah. Uh, they'll be migrated across so you can find all of our all of our content there as well. But like we said, it'll all be available through our website as well. So easiest to keep up with us is just go to the website, danzandleviathan and you can find all of our stuff there. And like Peter's alluded to, there will be some new advertising material in the beginning and at the end. To help us pay the bills and keep the lights on, we appreciate you guys listening to it. It's tailor-made for our show, so we hope you enjoy that.
1: Yeah, and guys, this is a, you know really a new era for us. Uh, this advertising is going to help us take this podcast to a new level, hopefully bring it, make it better, make it more awesome. Um, so with ACAST, download the app, subscribe to our podcast, um, and we look forward to exploring this new endeavor with you as well. So stay with us. It's going to be awesome. The, the
0: the benefits of joining Agora for us are to engage with the other podcast host uh, teammates and we get to share ideas with them. We get to promote their shows yeah. and they'll do the same for us. So we're effectively partners in a network where they'll also talk about lands of the vitamin on their shows and they'll give us some good feedback and comments on how we can improve and we look forward to being a part of that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be super awesome. We have left the uh, crazy state of podcast nature and joined a state. It's awesome stuff. <laughs> Hey guys, this episode, we are on number 11, yay! We are discussing freedom, which is a very interesting topic for um, this podcast. We'll be discussing freedom with regards to the past, the present, and the future. Um, But first, we'd like to remind you guys that uh, all of our past episodes are on our website, um, I, you know, we're good to see that we've gotten some traffic to our website recently, which is awesome. Brock and I are also putting together some articles to put up on the website. So, so far we've got two up there. There's one of mine, which is about how if you don't vote, your parents will steal your money.
0: I've also got an article up there about how negative freedom is a really bad idea and especially a harms based freedom can lead us to pursuing pleasure without restraint. And since that 's quite bad, I thought i 'd go ahead and describe why it 's bad, but I've also decided to launch uh, to keep the, the polls going so go ahead look at the website under the article section you'll find both Peter and my art, and my articles but there 's also a poll there that we'd really welcome your contribution on so we can keep track of what your guys interests are
1: yep, yeah, sounds good and um, yeah, guys, go back and listen to uh, the episodes that you might not have listened to yet. we love your um, feedback on those still. Uh, they are all on SoundCloud. We have a very easy link right on the front page of the website, so you can just listen to them all through there. Um, and
0: If you prefer YouTube, we'll be putting together a whole month, uh contribution to each episode getting its own YouTube edit, and hopefully we'll have that up uh, and running uh, consistently as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, guys, we are soon going to be looking for some sponsorships for this uh, podcast so that we can do it better and more often Um, but to do that we need you guys to rate us on um, iTunes as well so if you are listening to us through your iTunes app please remember to rate um, the episodes as well as leaving any comments it will help us out a huge amount.
0: Great so let's talk about this really vague too often described and too often described narrowly topic of freedom. Why is it a problem and why is it a good thing? Why is it a good thing that we discuss it as a problem?
1: Yeah. Well, I think to start off with, the first thing I'd like to note is that, um, obviously for a good reason, freedom is an incredibly complex uh, issue that politics attempts to deal with quite a lot. And in popular culture, it's dealt with in a very shallow fashion. So, you know, we only kind of see the brave heart kind of idea of just shouting freedom at the sky and attempting to gain that at whatever the cost. And once you've gained it, you've won. Um, but it's actually a lot more complex than that. It's it's not just about defeating the king or whatever tyrant you happen to be facing at the time. And also that our conception of freedom has changed over the last 10,000 years of human history. So the way we think about freedom now is very different from the way our ancestors conceptualized freedom.
0: But if, I think through the, the lack of information in these pop culture movies, that most people, if you had to ask them today... What do you think freedom is or what does it mean? They would have a very shallow answer. Like, uh, it is the, it allows me, freedom is the thing or the set of circumstances or structural arrangements that allows me to do whatever I want. And then there's obviously the short caveat that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else.
1: Yeah. And that's the, that's the classic liberal, um, definition of freedom.
0: Um, ah, uh, yeah. It's a very modern conception of freedom.
1: Yeah. And obviously, a bunch of philosophers would have had very different takes on it. You know, somebody like Aristotle would have said that freedom is that thing that allows you to live the best human life. And doing whatever you want is definitely not living the best human life. Uh, Aristotle would have.
0: Yes, because then we would be entertaining every woman or every impulse that we had rather than trying to negate the vices and trying to live a virtuous life. So, that, yeah, that would be his conception.
1: Exactly. So just before we, like, delve into this hardcore, Brock, do you want to give us a, a, a brief summary, because we've done this before, but a brief summary of what, you know, positive and negative freedoms are? I think that that's an important no, place to start.
0: No, I'd, ra- I'd rather start um, in antiquity with, with Aristotle, actually, because that positive and negative freedom um, is, is a very modern conception. You know, Isaiah Berlin made it famous, and I'd rather talk about it after we've discussed the, the the films and the the ideas that we get from antiquity.
1: Okay. Um, so then, if that's the case, I would like to start off with the two movies that came out a couple of years ago, God-awful films, uh, Clash of the Titans and Wrath of the Titans. Um,
0: oh, my word. I gave up after the first one.
1: <laughs> well, those two movies are essentially about the same thing. They are about man rebelling against fate and fate here is obviously personified by gods in ancient Greek culture um, and it, the main characters in that movie the humans rebel against the gods who control their lives and try and take back their freedom to have what to have control over their own lives now the interesting thing about this is is that if you could go back in time and get Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates together and get them to watch those movies, after they had finished throwing up and f- freaking out about what the fuck was going on, <laughs> they would then be like, this is not freedom, you bunch of assholes. What have you done to our culture? You, you This is terrible. And why is the Greek economy so bad? We were the top. <laughs> but the interesting thing about Greek ancient Greek culture was that the Greeks had a very different conception of what freedom was as in comparison to what our modern Western idea of freedom is. And that was that the universe was controlled by godly forces, Zeus, Aphrodite, uh, Apollo, Neptune, you know, all these guys, all these gods who were basically controlling the universe. Um, and no. human beings were completely at the, at the whim of these forces. They could do nothing against the gods. And the worst thing that you could do in Greek culture was to, to consider yourself at the same level or higher than the gods, which a lot of us would, you know, especially in a kind of American thinking, a lot of people put themselves, in, you know, at the center of the universe.
0: It is. It's a very individual. We have, a, in modern culture, we have a very individualist um, placement and in strategic figuration of freedom that we are the most important.
1: Exactly. Now, the, the Greek citizenry would have still considered themselves the human to be a very important, the individual to be important. But the individual was kind of like a rock in the middle of the sea. It could stand there and do whatever it could, but at the end of the day, it was always going to be at the mercy of the sea. Nothing that a human could do would ever...
0: Stop it from being a rock.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is that that kind of idea is quite depressing to us today. That, that we might be at the whims of this, um, vast universe. But the Greeks celebrated that idea because what it meant was that they could live the life they had to the fullest. So to a certain extent, they grabbed and cherished the freedoms that they did have. The freedom. Like what? The freedom to do and live the best life that they possibly could.
0: Okay, now, and on what basis was that judged? On what basis was that judged?
1: The basis, well, it really depends on which philosopher you were talking about. So, for instance, Aristotle considered the good human life to be one of contemplation and philosophy, to attain wisdom and happiness at the expense of everything else.
0: So, I think you missed something there. I think he, to attain wisdom and happiness through, virtue, through living virtuously. So, so his parameters or his framework, the way, the way that he judged a good human life, would be to how well-practiced or well-versed an individual was in denying the vices of the body. So how well you were able to overcome your humanness and live more like a god. It didn't mean make you a god. It just made you a more perfect human. So to try and balance magnanimity with poverty, to try and balance... Uh, lust with restraint try and balance drunkenness with pleasure to make sure that you're always trying to live out the balances as perfectly as possible and a good uh, comparison or a good analogy for that is like a sportsman he refers to the the athletes in Athens training for the Olympics and how you would have to put yourself through rigorous training every day to perfect your to perfect your exercise uh, and so and so that's how Aristotle would say we would have to behave. Or that's how we should treat our freedom in order to be regarded as free and also to be regarded as a good person.
1: And that's, that's the interesting – so like one of those examples that has always stuck with me was Aristotle spoke about courage and cowardice. And yeah. Aristotle considered courage, which he defined as just going in and, you know, doing whatever you thought was necessary to win in a battle, for instance, at – No expense, you know, like there there was no other thought except for just winning. He considered that as bad as being a coward, you know, just constantly running away. So he said true freedom was the ability to find oneself in bravery, which was the middle ground between courageousness and cowardice, where one knew when to run and when to fight. And that that was what was truly human beings' freedom, was the ability to find, through reason, that middle ground. Now, obviously, the gods could come in. Through reason and virtue. Well, the virtue was using your reason.
0: Um, I think that, hmm, was it?
1: Yes, the virtue was, you found that the virtue of bravery through the use of reason.
0: So the most reasonable person would also be the most virtuous.
1: According to Aristotle, yes.
0: No, I think you're confusing reason with pragmatism.
1: No, 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 because Aristotle didn't really like pragmatism that much. Remember that Aristotle's this definition of reason was just the use of the mind to overcome the base animal instincts that were inherent in every human being, was to elevate the ideas above the just basic animalistic things to a place where we could decide where and how we wanted to go. And exactly. Okay. To say, when but can then, we fight? When can we run?
0: But, was, but then correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of, of his Nicomachean ethics was also that it, to be free was not just to be able to reason above your situation, to raise yourself above your context in order to do the right thing, but also to have the capacity to do that. And I think he referred to that capacity as your virtue. You had to build up your virtue. You had to build up your capacity to enact your reason, to enact what you discovered. by So you could know, I mean, I mean, by a reasonable assessment of my situation, I should run away from this battle, or I should... Be courageous and fight in this battle, but that doesn't mean you had necessarily have the courage to do that. That was, that virtue was a separate idea. Yes, I mean
1: because he also said that it was kind of like a muscle that you had to exercise. This wasn't something yeah. that you just gained. That the virtue was a, to live a virtuous life was the constant struggle to attain the this reasonableness. So yes, you are correct. Yeah, it's kind of almost okay. like a, a feedback loop of content continuity that would eventually lead you to the ultimate virtue of eudaimonia which was human happiness
0: okay and and you didn't necessarily have to reach eudaimonia before you died but so long as you tried to live to as long as you were trying to a, attain eudaimonia by by the fact that you were living virtuously then when the gods came around or the fates came around and took your life then that was it you were you were uh, defined as having lived freely
1: yeah but also remember that, according to the Greeks, nobody was gonna judge you at the end of your life because only a but that very... was the
0: purpose of life that was the his yeah those were his that that was his um um you gonna have to cut this out damn it bah, bah, bah. what what what's the thing that was yeah, you can put this back in so that was his rubric that was his rubric for assessing um Uh, freedom.
1: Yes, exactly. So, what what Aristotle was doing was crafting what is now called a teleological argument. Uh, The Greek word telos means purpose. He was trying to establish what the purpose of being human was. Now, what's interesting is that as opposed to Christian ideology, where the purpose of human life is to eventually attain heaven by living a good life, the For the Greeks, that wasn't the case because most Greeks did not go to any kind of heaven, which for them was called Elysium. Only the bravest and, you know, like the heroes of their stories ever went to Elysium. You could be like the best dude, but if you were just a general dude, you were going to Hades. And Hades was horrible, no matter who you were. So you could have lived a really good life. You would not be rewarded for that. The only reason for living a good life was because you chose to live a good life. And that was the greek version of freedom you were re- so there were- was no
0: there was no just so the living a good life or, li- or using your freedom to live a good life was not incentivized the only thing that was incentivized by the attainment of uh, elysium or getting into elysium was bravery in battle or being a good soldier or warrior
1: yeah but even then you had to be like achilles or hercules or uh, you know just a general foot soldier really good on the battlefield he wouldn't get into elysium necessarily i mean like well, there was probably well like, that sucks.
0: Let, let, then let us move <laughs> on to the, to the to the Christian version of freedom. Yeah, because so, um, yeah, that that Greek version doesn't sound too applicable to us.
1: No, so I think well, you know, this this brings us towards a much more you know, let's jump over the Romans because the Romans had a slightly different idea, but you know, they they kind of worked alongside the Greeks. But once we get into medieval Europe, where Christianity has now taken hold, freedom kind of. I mean, you, I think that you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but freedom kind of takes a back seat to living a good life by the definitions of the church so that you can get into heaven. So one doesn't necessarily have to be free in order to get into heaven. One just has to live a good life.
0: Uh, unfortunately, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh. The, the the Christian perception of freedom enables you to live a good life. You would, you would not be able to get into heaven, not be able to live a good life unless you were free. Okay. Because... In a, in a Christian uh, understanding of the world or Christian worldview, it um, r- r- depends on freedom. It is the most basic uh, f- feature of being human. So,
1: In that, in that you have free will.
0: In that you have free will, exactly. And yeah. you need free will to decipher what to do, what one ought to do in every situation in life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you're to end, you know, because we're quite human and we can be quite silly uh, and we, we're short in experience a lot of the time. Um, Christians believe in a rubric that comes in, in, you know, in written text in the yeah. Bible. So, you can choose not to live by the Bible. You can choose to find your own good way of living, mm. um, to which the Christians bid you farewell and good luck. Mm. Uh, or you can just choose to ignore it completely and you can choose to ignore goodness completely and just live however you want to define it, whether it 's good or bad you don 't really care mm. but if you 're going to live a Christian life and you 're going to live a good life at that, then you need to engage your freedom to say yes to the to the to the written text and to say yes to the 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 teachings from the bible and the and yes to the teachings from christ himself yeah. so the, and that depended very much on freedom. you would not be able to do that to make that decision. In everyday life, if you didn't have the free have free will.
1: Okay, so then that being said, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Because in Greek society, the idea of slavery, for instance, was not something that was considered bad because yeah. slaves didn't have freedom. That I mean, their freedom wasn't taken away from them as such because the Greek conceptualization of freedom wasn't anchored within. Uh, the ability to do whatever you wanted. Their conceptualization yeah. of freedom was anchored in the ability to reason, which they could never take away from a slave. So for them, that's taking right. away somebody's physical freedom, that's not a problem. You can do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in Christian yeah. ideology. Just,
0: just, I have a side note there. So uh, for those of you who know the difference between negative and positive freedom, when we come back to it later, you'll know that the Greeks preferred the positive form of freedom. Mm. And they rely, they, they emphasized that more than they did negative freedom. But yes, mm. go, get back to your question.
1: So now let's look at in Christian ideology, one needs to be free in order to make one's choices. One needs to be able to exercise one's free will or what we call yes. today agency. But how do the, the Christians manage, how do they justify the ideas of slavery that occurred in Europe, as well as the like feudal systems that cropped up at the time that essentially forced people to work the land even if they didn't want to
0: so you're asking me to be an expert on medieval <laughs> Christ- no, christendom
1: I, i'm asking if do you think that those the, the the church leaders at the time would have been able to justify that according to the ideology of the christian idea of freedom or do you think that that was just a we're just going to ignore it for now.
0: I think it was more of a political solution than it was a theological one. Yeah, and and if and if those Christian leaders were held to account today, they would have a tough time defending those uh, judgments in in that they were not theo- you know, theologically accurate. Mm. And uh, and in a political sense, they probably would have passed the, the blame on to the landlords and to the landed aristocracy of the time mm. to say that that we that. We as the church, uh, or we as the leaders of the church, do not have jurisdiction over the the land, over the people who worked on the land, and whoever owned the land actually could run it according to whatever they saw fit. And so we weren't going to step in and tell people what they could do with their property. So if they had people as property, we don't we don't really want to interfere with that. But having said that, they, they should have been a bit more vocal in. Defending the rights of people, and specifically defending the freedom of humans. Yeah. So, so I don't think the church ever publicly stated that it would have been pro-slavery or that it defended the right to own people, to own slaves. Mm. In fact, as as um you know as the church matured or grew older through the through the Renaissance, this was sort a of very vocal disdain and defense of people. And the right of slaves and fought against slavery. Mm. And I think as well. For the very reason that it. Sorry, just to end off the answer, just for the very reason that it valued human freedom so much, and especially uh, both negative and positive freedom, that you should have not just the functional or the mental capability and wherewithal to enact what you thought was good for yourself and to pursue it, but also to have the physical ability to go ahead and follow through on your decisions and to follow through on on the decisions that you made uh f- yeah for for your for your own betterment,
1: yeah, and I think that that, is that
0: w- even a word betterment,
1: yeah, betterment, yeah, it's a word it shouldn't be
0: it is a word, it's
1: like an old word, man, come on <laughs> for the betterment of mankind, that's like a thing nah, it shouldn't be anyway it be the word. um so what's what I think is interesting here is that you kind of see this evolution of the conceptualization of freedom. And I, you know, our movies that we see that are set during this time still kind of huh, like fudge the ideas of freedom that these people had through the lens of freedom that we have today, which is really difficult. So you can it see it's difficult,
0: and it does mean that movies like Braveheart become hold less. Um, they have less meaning than, than what they could have had because of that fudge. If you look through that fudge in Braveheart, you can see what. Um, and if you have a better understanding of what christian freedom means i think you can you can sort of reach out and and uh grapple a bit with what the type of freedom william wallace was fighting for but you have to kind of invent it for yourself in that film the film could have done a better job of displaying what freedom meant in those times in those uh, medieval times when when big uh, new rights were being argued uh, in, the, in, in Britain, like the right to own property, for example. Yeah. That, no one could, that there was no sovereign authority that could tell you what to do with your farm and how much tax you had to pay yeah. on your land. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you've seen the movie, you'll know that was an essential theme.
1: Yeah, but the, the, other, the, the other essential theme about William Wallace's story as the hi- actual history was William Wallace was not a farmer. William Wallace no. was a lord. He was a lord in Scotland. He wasn't pissed off that there were lords and kings. He was pissed off that the British were coming in and taking control of what the Scottish at the time saw as an independent kingdom. He was upset with William Longshanks, who was coming in and taking over. So this wasn't a democratic revolution against the power. They weren't fighting the man. They were fighting against the British to reestablish the Scottish monarchy. That's what William Wallace was doing. So if you could Which, go, if,
0: if my if my poor history serves me well um, there was no monarchy in Scotland at the time and they were trying to sort it out it had been sort of a, a, um, a it had been a vacant throne for a few decades if I'm not mistaken
1: yeah because there was there was a succession crisis going on it was there was a huge backwards and forwards they didn't know where the air was it was a big problem but the important mm. thing is is that if you could go back in time using our time machine and once you've dropped the Greeks off, you go to William Wallace and say, hey, dude, like uh, you should give all the peasants freedom and stop this feudalism thing. He would just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I need my peasants mm-hmm. on my land. I'm a goddamn lord. Fuck you. Get out of my place. And then he would kill you with his broadsword. But, um, <laughs> 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 uh, but the thing is, is that, that that conceptualization of freedom where every single person has the right to move and do as they please, which we have today, was not existent at the time. They would not have considered it the same thing.
0: Mm, mm. But, well, that that um, historical point, that you didn't consider human freedom to be so much that you could uh, determine, you know, it still wasn't strong that you, that you could determine your own future, that you could do whatever you wanted. It was more the freedom to willingly obey.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you chose... So not to willingly obey, a, then you chose to die, essentially.
0: I don't think, necessi- think necessary. I don't think you chose to die. But you'd probably be subjected to some form of uh, justice as enacted by the state, or maybe uh, a landowner, or a lord, or um, an aristocrat, perhaps you know, even a bureaucrat could could have some form of penal justice that you would have to serve, or some sort of um, um, Penalty that you would, you know, you probably have to pay a fine or something, or even be, you know, kicked out of the kicked off the land or out of the country. You don't really mm. know how many cattle thieves were shipped off to Ireland because they didn't obey the Scottish legal system. Yeah. Or well, they I, didn't recognize the king.
1: And I think what's interesting is that freedom as a concept is not paramount in this society. Loyalty no. is paramount. The yes. loyalty to one's lord and one's king and whoever you decide yes. that is. But loyalty is the important thing, not freedom.
0: It puts. Yes, it was, or at least not the freedom in the way we understand it.
1: Yeah, so let's fast forward. So,
0: yes, yeah? let's fast forward. Okay, so let's fast Red forward mind.
1: to our own time, the time of great no, freedom. Not, no, no,
0: no, 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 not quite our time. I still want to talk a little bit about Renaissance, mm. or at least the Enlightenment era at large. Um, what were the battles, Peter? What what kind of Tenets or what features of freedom were coming to light here that were being argued about and, and being played off in a in a very in a large uh, in a large debate across Europe and across the world in many places um, that sort of gave freedom a, a few more characteristics that were new that we had not yet come to grapple with a lot.
1: Well, I mean, it's a massively broad question, so there are many different answers for it. But in my conception of the Renaissance is. Let's the,
0: move away from the word conception. <laughs>
1: My idea of the Renaissance. Um, <laughs> well, so the idea here is that what I cons- what I consider the most important is humanism. And that was what essentially gave birth to our modern world. So for the first time in human history, the human moves into the center of the universe. And this plays itself out in a number of ways, political, religious, even scientific, So you had a movement away from having gods in ancient Greek culture and then God in a Christian mythology towards an idea where the human is now the center of the universe. Everything that happens, happens to the person as an individual. And everything that is being uh, subjectively perceived happens to that individual. You are not necessarily uh, purposefully driven towards attaining something outside of yourself but you are your own little package of universe that must be protected at all costs. So- okay,
0: so what you're telling me is that a tenant that is new, not necessarily to freedom, but that is new to society and gets applied to freedom is a, sort of a stepping back of the importance of obedience or loyalty mm. and new and coming to the fore of equality. that it- Everyone is equal and every individual should be treated equally. Exactly. And, and now... At, and the way that we measure equality or the way that we make sure that everyone is is free is that they are capable of doing all the same things.
1: Yeah. Well the idea was that for the first time now human beings are very important. Human beings are the most important commodity. Now if human and not just as a commodity but their importance is priceless for the first time. You cannot commoditize a human being's life anymore. That each individual represents an immensely valuable piece of the universe so if that's the case then suddenly that human being has to be given the ability to live their life as they see fit now obviously in the renaissance this was very early days so i mean you still had slavery and you know what did it mean to be human and who was human so you know your europeans might or they definitely did not consider africans to be humans but when the, so they applied these rules to themselves. No, they
0: they considered them humans, but they didn't consider them equal humans. It was a case of all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. They considered them uncivilized humans.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is obviously, you know, we'll jump forward a bit to when we get to like social Darwinism and that caused a whole bunch yeah. of other problems. But you can see this really coming to fore in the Italian republics where you have, like, Naples, Florence, and uh, the Burgundy, all these places, not Burgundy, uh, Bologna, where they they have formed these republics where it's semi-democratic, but these leaders have a very positive view of the people that they rule over. And these people are the important part of their society. And these people should be free to do as they wish.
0: Okay. Um, So I'm trying, I'm going to, Use one of the threads we talked about earlier in the Christian Christian um, perception or understanding of freedom is that you have the you have uh, the ability to choose and you have the ability and almost the obligation to choose rightly. Mm. How much of that comes through in this new humanism? Because I would, it's a bit of a loaded question because I I would like to suggest an answer, which is that um, you. You're expected to live as best you see fit, but the person who is going to live best or the person who's going to be judged to have used their freedom in the best way is the one who would almost negate their freedom, almost like a paradox. The person who choose to live according to everyone else, the person who choose to serve everyone else. And I think you do see this to a certain extent, um, not in all places, but in many of the Italian republics, where there was a lot of pressure on leaders to serve the people, to make sure that the people were helped, to make sure that the people were ruled over justly, mm. and that their equality was equally um, instituted and, and implemented in the in the correct fashion, that the people felt that they were being served by their leaders. Mm. Uh, so, so, it, so in one sense, I would say that you know, human, the, the, this new humanism that came across, or came through in the Renaissance, carried quite a strong, uh, c- carried quite a strong Christian feature with it, which is which is the, the parad- almost paradoxical feature of, subs- of subservience, of yeah. servitude. And the, the person who, used it, who to, is to be judged as using their freedom best is the one who, who rena- almost renounces their freedom and lives for other people rather than living selfishly.
1: Yeah, and this, this kind of idea actually comes through really strongly in the game series Assassin's Creed, um, especially the oh, games yeah. that are set during the Renaissance uh, when you play as a, as a Renaissance guy jumping from roof to roof in Florence. But the whole contention of Assassin's Creed is a fight between the Assassins, who stand for individual freedom and free will, and the Templars, who stand for an orderly society, but one in which they control everything absolutely. So the Templars want to strip freedom in order to create order the assassins want to cre- almost create chaos in order to create freedom so well,
0: this is really this is fantastic this is attaching um, really like the negative parts mm. of freedom and power uh, to different factions in the in this computer game so you're saying mm. that the, the fighters for freedom were almost fighters for anarchy and yeah. the fighters for power who almost were fighters for totalitarianism?
1: Yeah, well, see, the, the conception on both sides is one: the assassins are like, well, people need to be able to choose what they want. If they choose, did you badly, just say
0: conception again?
1: I know, I love it; it's the best. <laughs> oh, um, if the if they choose badly, they will deal with the repercussions. If they choose well, then good on them. And but they
0: oh, so the so the decision of the who um lives out their freedom well is up to the Templars.
1: If the Templars were to gain power, they would control – they don't just want to control uh, the society. I mean they're using like magical artifacts to actually control people's minds to make people do what they want them to do. Now that society might not necessarily be bad from an objective point of view. But the argument from the assassins is that freedom is more important than order. Freedom is more important than anything else in society because if you don't have freedom, you're not a human.
0: Okay, well, here's a question that I'd like to use to run through to the end of this episode is, is, I'm not going to use order because order is useless without a legitimate empowered authority. All right? So I'm going to use the, the, the concept that uh, Michael Oakeshott uses, which is power. Mm. And it's just as broad, it's just as difficult to work with, and it's just as uh, difficult to define as freedom is. But can you introduce the debate of, freedom versus power in the modern state. Let's jump out of the Renaissance era and out of enlightenment and and head on over to where we are at the moment.
1: See, it's an interesting question because I don't think it's as dichotomous as you're phrasing it out to be. It's not freedom on one side and power on the other. Why not? Because I think to a certain extent… I agree with you,
0: but let's, let's describe why not.
1: The reason I think that is because power, to a certain extent, is freedom. In order for people to have freedom, they need to be empowered to a certain extent. They need to be given the ability. You like sound a development student. I, I am a development student. So, welcome well, that's to a the sad jungle. Story. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, I mean, you do need to be empowered to make the whatever decisions you want to make. If somebody makes a bad decision, um, you know, they decide to take drugs or they decide to go on a murderous rampage or do any kind of negative thing that harms them and harms each other people, but they didn't know that those things were bad. Can you legitimately fault them for doing those things? Did they have the freedom to choose otherwise? My answer to that question would be no. The only way to give them that freedom is to empower them through, I mean, a whole range of things, education, uh, the ability to choose, give them resources so that they have the capacity to make those choices. Without that power, you can't have freedom. However, on the other side of that, when you have too much power, you now have the ability to dampen other people's freedom. So it's not dichotomous as it's more continuous with no. you know, this, this. I thought
0: I was going to agree with you, but I disagree with you, and it's mostly my fault that I'm disagreeing with you. Because, <laughs> um, no, it is because I set up the concept of power incorrectly. Ah. but I meant by power was not necessarily personal power. or or personal capability. Because then I do agree with you. Then I think, yes, you you need a certain level of freedom in order to enact your power or to enact your capability and to realize your potential. And then there comes that awful word, you can fully (laughs) self-actualize. I swear you could create a a series of motivational speaking themes just on that tone. Yeah. (laughs) To see the halls packed with...
1: And people already have, which are really lame. And I hate it. You guys gotta yeah, self
0: actualize, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so coming back to the, the, the definition of power that I wanted to use was more like a stateful power or regulatory power. A power that would restrict freedom. A unnecessary power. Well, well that to some level unnecessary. It, you know, that, that power that that power that that meets freedom at the interface that you described earlier, the one that regulates freedom to prevent certain harms being done. Um, Let's yeah. talk about how that debate has, inf- has influenced this humanist perception of freedom in today's society.
1: Well, that's because I think that, I think that uh, the original thinkers of humanism kind of had a, a very naive and way too optimistic view of human nature. That if people were free, that they would do the right thing naturally. We know that that's not necessarily the case. If people are free, they're also free to starve. They're also free to do crime. They're free to murder. They're free to rape. We we know that that happens, and we know that that happens especially when they are not given the correct opportunities within society. So we rely on the state to not only empower us to make the right decisions, but also to control those negative aspects of ourselves. We have a police force to make sure that we don't commit too much crime. The government controls drug use in society. The government controls alcohol consumption. The, these things are necessary in order to promote the maximum amount of freedom that we can enjoy without harming ourselves. And those words coming why, out
0: of my Why don't I have the freedom to harm myself?
1: Well, see, that's the interesting thing is, and this is really, this now comes down to a philosophical discussion. Because I'm a goddamn liberal. Okay? I'm fucking Bernie Sanders all the way. I want him to be president. It's going to be fucking
0: why awesome. Why am I still friends with <laughs>
1: Now, the interesting thing here is, is that as a liberal person, I see no reason that the individual should not be able to harm themselves if they so wish. But that's such a naive statement to make, because by harming oneself, you are inadvertently harming society. You are removing the human potential that you represent from that society. So but what are, these things aren't black and white. Freedom needs to be constrained to a certain extent. But that's what power abuse really is. It's when freedom is too constrained. People should be able to smoke cigarettes if they want to. But obviously they shouldn't be able to smoke cigarettes in an enclosed area because then their secondhand smoke is harming others. Now, yes, their smoking cigarettes does, even if they're smoking it on the street, does a certain amount of harm to society in that they're shortening their own life. They probably are affecting others in a negative way. However... If you were to take away their right to smoke, I believe that you would be doing more harm to the individual by removing that freedom than you would be by doing good to society by squishing that freedom.
0: Okay, so it seems like the, the focus of freedom, especially when it comes into contact with power, is sort of dominating the modern society's perception of freedom in that we're testing to what extent we're allowed to commit harms. Mm. And what what harms are tolerable, and what harms are intolerable? Yeah, so it's almost like freedom. It's almost like freedom, or let's say unrestrained freedom, is the order of the day, until we've broken or crossed a boundary, and that, and that only at that point should power come in and, yeah. and should regulate us.
1: And I think that the liberal the liberal tenant of You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm anybody else is a good one, but that's a it's naive to base a policy just on that. You have to look at each individual act and say, you know, how much should this be constrained? Should it be constrained at all, or should it be outlawed? You know, so
0: what about consented harm? So what if I want someone to harm me?
1: Well, you see, that I mean, it's you can make you can bring up these hypothetical situations forever. I mean, remember the case of the guy who put a post up on the internet that he wanted to be eaten, and a cannibal was like, "Sweet, I'll eat you," and that went to, that obviously went to court, and there were huge problems with it. The the problem is is that that kind of activity harms the fabric of society in a very fundamental way.
0: I agree with you completely, but I'm, what I'm trying to get at is is to the point we realize that freedom. In, to be able to do anything except that which harms, I think, is is unrestrained freedom, and it's not a beneficial type of freedom. It's not the type of freedom that allows us to be as positive and as uh, developmental, as growth-focused as humans can be. It's forgetting the humanism. It's forgetting the virtue. It's forgetting the loyalty, the loyalty to society. It's forgetting the service. It's forgetting everything else about others, and it's it's been so watered away to just mean individual individualism. And the way to fight that I think is to not prioritize consent or choice above harm. And harm is a good starting point, but it needs to be it needs to be expanded a bit. And so and and, in in insofar as well, in a way that demands that we analyze why is it that we don't like harm. And I think the so? But like, to that what, is because it takes away, like you said, it takes away our capability and our potential to do more good to benefit society.
1: I see but that's okay, so I see what you're saying, and I have a, a problem with it, because my conceptualization is that I did it again. <laughs> my idea is that um, <laughs> the human's potential is the most important. The individual's potential is what is important. Not society's potential. I agree. Human beings should not be tethered and reigned to the good of society. Human beings should be tethered and reigned to their own good. So there should never be a situation in which human beings are made to work for society. Society should always be made to work for the individual. If
0: Um,
1: otherwise you get into a situation like is portrayed in A Brave New World, where uh, you have the whole society being... You know everything is for the good of the community, but the community is just made up of cogs, and those cogs have no expression. So I, I think if you if you're going to have freedom, you have to have chaos as well. You can't have freedom without chaos. You just have I to have mechanisms let's to control the chaos in a way.
0: Let's set this. Let's set this up because I think by you and I discussing this, we're moving the debate now beyond modern society more into a futuristic yeah. world. Yeah, and let, let's use a setting here. Um, the the modern um, illustration of A Brave New World, which is in that film Equilibrium with Christian Bale. Yeah. Where you have a a society that's completely structured, entirely ordered, and it removes all sense of individuality from humans so that the society or the state in that film becomes the, the primordial entity. Yeah, and the state is there to serve the individuals, which is a novel, which is I think is a good idea. You mean the the individuals individuals rather than?
1: You mean the individuals are there to serve the state in equilibrium?
0: No, I think, but I I think the the state is there. Its claim is to serve the the individuals. Yeah, but the state is that its its claim is that the state must run this way, otherwise, otherwise, people are going to hurt themselves and each other. Exactly, we but never, that's. Because the, the, remember, the film takes place after a severe world war, and they yeah. never want a war to happen again, so they remove all, uh, opportunities of conflict, and they remove all opportunities of exacerbation of conflict. Mm. So they never want people to feel unique, because that leads to differences. And so that Everyone's run down to the, to the point of, 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 um, uh, all identities removed. And only once identity is removed, can the society say, "Right now, we will work for you. Now, now that we've created the society for you, now that we have, um, we've given back to you. Now you've got to sort of work your way back for us. Now you've got to maintain the society."
1: But then, see but that you're right. And you know? the problem, the problem with that is that in that situation, the state is a machine in which the people are cogs. The people work to maintain the status quo. There's no way for that society to move forward. There's no progress. There's no innovation. There's no creativity. As you said, there's no uniqueness. The individuals themselves are just treadmills. On a, they're just running in the machine, and that's that. I don't
0: think is necessarily a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if that, if the uniqueness have been so far removed that there is no more human freedom. That there's no more opportunity. To progress. There's but more I think that that's, to advance.
1: I think that that's exactly the case in equilibrium. That, that, that is yes, what happened.
0: I, I, yes. I think that is what happened, but because the state has made itself fundamental. It's made itself more important than the human.
1: Yeah. So you know what, actually? Which,
0: which, so here's, so yes, so here's the, the image I'm trying to redraw now. If we change that and the state becomes, for all intents of purposes, um, an enactment of, of, of power a regulatory power, a yeah. necessary power that balances out the human, but does not supplant the human. The human or the individual becomes remains the most important. Remember, the, the individual existed before anything else did. Yeah. The individual existed before society. It existed before the state. So as long as the individual remains important and their freedom remains important to change society and to alter progress and to define progress for themselves and to, do, to define development, then the state... Can, can implement that. Yeah. And so in and so when the clock comes round, in turn, it can give that uh, illustration or that depiction of freedom or development back to the individual. So the state must be there to work for the individual, but not so that as to turn the individual into a cog. Exactly. To, this... still, to still balance freedom with power, and that's what I'm trying to get to.
1: And I, I agree with you completely. And that's – so. The equilibrium example is that, you know, we become cogs. But I think a really good counter example to that, which a lot of people, a lot of people don't agree with me on this point is the matrix. The matrix yeah. is not, mm-hmm. those people are not fettered. They have freedom. Everybody in the matrix yeah. is free. The only thing mm-hmm. is, so, I mean, you, you've got the anti establishment people when we, I mean, when I was 12 and watched that movie, I was like, yeah, fight the power. Because it was rage yeah. against the machine. It was fucking awesome. But the thing is, those people are not cogs. I mean, yes, their life is being used to power the machines, but they still live a normal human lifespan. Within the Matrix, they are absolutely free to do as they want. Now, is it yeah. the question that the Matrix asks is is this true freedom, given that their minds are in a dreamlike state? But Neo answers that question for us by saying, like, no, this is not freedom. But the answer, the answer that I would give is it's as free as if they were in the real world. They're, this world is no. not any less real than the real world.
0: No, I was with you until a point.
1: Be- the I, reason I, I say I, that I, is because their perceptions yeah. of the matrix, the matrix is a nice place to live. They're, as long as people aren't fighting, uh, it's the, you know, the agents only fight the people who come into the matrix. The normal people in the matrix, they just live their lives. They, if they discover it's a it's new it's science just, in the matrix, it's fine.
0: But Peter, you back to a harms-based, narrow definition of freedom. It's negative freedom all over again. That's what makes the, that's what makes the, the matrix free up until the point. That's what makes uh, the matrix resemble Earth up until the point. Mm. And the point that I think modern society has moved away from is the necessity for positive freedom. I don't mean positive freedom in the powerful sense. I don't mean positive freedom in the sense that the state should organize, or the state should order society but that the individual should be free to create that for themselves. So when you find an individual like Trinity, and I, I only imagine this because we don't have more information to go on about her character in the Matrix films, but say Morpheus is trying to find Trinity. She's free to find him back, right? Yeah. Only once she's made contact with him, does the Matrix engage the agents to go and break that contact? Why? Because the potential for positive freedom, and here, which I should just describe positive freedom as the the capacity that a human has to pursue what they uh, what they desire. So yeah. It's not the it's not it's not the removal of restraint. It's not the the killing off of the agents in the film. It's that uh, Trinity would ha- would once deciding to follow Morpheus would have the the power within herself to do it. Yeah. And, she would, she wouldn't have that power if she didn't. If she took the blue pole, she'd only have that power if she took the red pole.
1: Okay, yeah, I agree with you.
0: So I'd the agree. red pole, if if we if we see that as positive freedom, then you'd say the matrix is not free because it doesn't give that option of the red pole to everyone living in the matrix.
1: Yeah, you're right. So the, they on are, Earth,
0: if you want to change society on Earth, you do have an opportunity to do that. As small as that opportunity might be, it still does exist.
1: So I absolutely agree with you. My argument wasn't that they're not free. They aren't free because they can't leave the Matrix whenever they want. Yeah. But they are free from the point of view of being able to do what they want within the Matrix. Now, I absolutely agree with you. If they can't leave the Matrix, they are not free because their freedom of movement is constrained. Okay, guys. So we're going mm-hmm. to be ending it off there. But my my final question to you is, and I think I already know your answer. At the end of the Matrix movies, some, the people in the Matrix are given a choice. They can yeah. leave or they can stay. The people who decided to stay, are they free? Hey guys, a little bit of a footnote. The song that we used is probably one you know. It's called Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine. It's the cool song that plays when Neo, learn, well, when Neo flies away at the end of the first Matrix movie. Um, it is by Rage Against the Machine, produced by Rage Against the Machine, composed by Rage Against the Machine, and uh, the record label is EPIC so they can't sue us now. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed that. If you did not access this via our website, landsofleviathan.com, then please visit the site to find other materials such as all of our other ACARS tracks and articles. And if you'd like any updates on the website, please don't be shy to subscribe to our RSS feed that is also there. We also look forward to hearing your comments and feedback Send us an email at landsofleviathan@gmail.com. It's L-A-N-D-S-O-F. L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N
1: And you can also find us on Facebook as well as Twitter under the Lands of Leviathan podcast. And if you didn't listen to that directly, then you can find it on Acast or any Acast supporting app such as iTunes. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Thanks so much.